Borectomerklets. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 62nd episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for March 1981, progs 202 to 205. This week, young Johnny Alpha joins the resistance. The Meltdown Man gets some guns. Amtrak returns to the beginning. And Future Shocks return! Bust out your air horns. This is going to be awesome. Oh man, I got it. I'm so ready for it. I'm super, super duper excited. <laughs> I mean, do we technically get four because of the sneak peek? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's one. There's a, oh. there's a Future Shock in every episode. Oh. Like, they even get I'm like a... Yeah, it's 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 good. No, we're you know we're gonna we're gonna close on future shocks. It's gonna be super exciting. But let's open with <laughs> smooth thrill one strontium dog. Uh, script row, script row for strontium dogs. Alan Grant, art robots. Carlos Escara, lettering robot. Steve Potter and Tony Jacob. Oh jeez. Ever really not liked your dad? Well, here's the revenge comic for you. Oh, man. Nelson Creeler's a real bad dad, guys. <laughs> He's not the kind of dad you want to hang out with. No. <laughs> so, Johnny Alpha continues his life story as they go to his father's bunker. As uh, we see Nelson Bunker Creelman reacting to his son being born a mutant. Creelman is a stridently mutant or a stridently anti-mutant politician, so surely, like, his son's affliction will soften his attitude and make him rethink his position, right, Fox? Oh, hell no. <laughs> no! He straight up forces that child to wear goggles from babydom. Yeah, he puts baby goggles on on young John Creelman and says, basically, you gotta wear these protective goggles all your life, your eyes are super sensitive, and if you look at light, bright light directly, it could kill you. Being a total liar because they admit alpha radiation waves. Mm -hmm. Creelman basically just takes breaks from slapping Johnny around to enact legislation to keep mutants from getting work and overseeing the public execution of mutant rebels. And but. I'm not saying that it's the giant hate rally. And I'm not saying that it's like the arm patches and the black suits that everyone's wearing. And I'm not saying it's because he's at a pulpit and just like shaking his fist and saying like, I'm definitely a Hitler. <laughs> it's the fact that if you, if you look just one down, like, did you really have to give the first mutant out the door a big nose? <laughs> Jesus. Come on, guys. Okay. It up. <laughs> Anyhow. As this goes on, uh, eventually some bullies at school, and from my reading of just comic books and like stuff written by English people, I feel like English schools are 95% bullies and 5% nerds who go on to write books about being bullied in English schools. But the, So they, they, they knock his goggles there. off, and they reveal Johnny's eyes. His mutant secret is revealed! Oh my god, he's weird and crazy and punching us. Yeah, so after his father beats him to within an inch of his life, uh, Johnny, young Johnny uses his eye beams on his father, and Creelman has Johnny confined to the attic of their future, futuristic house, never to leave again. Definitely not an overreaction, but sure. Mm. However, Johnny is able to use his alpha vision to see inside the lock of the door and eventually pick it and escape. 
he that was kind of like an awesome sequence he's just being fed this like garbage food and all he does is sit and stare at the lock all yeah, day synth beef stew yeah he sort of you know has a good uh learning to use his power montage in this attic prison super sweet <laughs> Um, on his way out, he uh, he learns the truth about everything by reading his mother his mother's mind, and he heads to the countryside, stopping only to say goodbye to his sister Ruth. Johnny he actually like says, "See you later and stay alive." Basically. Yeah, she seems get me. she seems pretty nice, honestly. Like for does someone... she come back? Spoil it. Uh, let's get you know we'll get to it. It's cool. Um, Fuck. Johnny makes his way north to some standing stones on the plains of Salisbury, where he's stopped by some members of the mutant army who asks his name, and he gives a new one. Johnny Alpha. I mean, what happens when you give the, a teenager a chance to, like, name himself? Oh, definitely. That would be awesome. Yeah. So Johnny Alpha, he's brought into the camp of the mutant army and immediately proves his worth with his x-ray vision and mind-reading abilities, earning the trust of General Arms, the Rebels' four-armed leader. <laughs> so awesome. Arms Super with nice a Z. Guy. Yeah, he's got a mustache. It's good times. <laughs> with when fellow <laughs> Rebels, the Weird Brothers, who, Fox, you'll remember from the uh, the Journey to Hell Strontium Dog story, yeah. remember? Like, they didn't seem to know each other, or they, they, they knew each other a little bit, but they didn't seem to be, like, former uh, revolutionary comrades, which is kind of interesting. But, so they bring in... <laughs> A Creeler, which is a member of Johnny's dad's anti-mutant police force. Johnny reads the Creeler's mind to learn about a food convoy coming in soon, and the mutant con- and the mutant army resolves to raid it. The Damn. mutants are woefully underarmed. However, they have these stick bomb grenades that have a limited effect on this tanketto, which is like a mini tank guarding the convoy. Johnny provides covering fire as Arms goes in to take the vehicle down, but a Creeler appears behind him about to shoot him in the back. Luckily, the keen-eyed young Johnny Alpha is there to instead shoot the Creeler and save the general who blows up the tanketto. And he, survives. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, sorry. I should say that too, yeah. <laughs> He's unharmed. Well, because I, I was not sure. I was like, wait... <laughs> Like, well, you know, he's got to he's got to prove his worth now, so then he can die dramatically later. I'd assume. Uh, yeah, surrogate <laughs> dead figure. Yeah, the surviving Creelers are stripped and sent running, and the army drives their liberated food trucks into Trenchtown, the mutant slum outside of Salisbury, where the jobless mutants are forced to live. Uh, and then set up a cool food truck uh, establishment yeah. for all of your yuppie friends to go to. Oh no, it's been the mutant, the mutant neighborhood's being gentrified by norms. <laughs> oh jeez, every time. <laughs> the, uh, the mutant army distributes oh, food and clears out, and Johnny is now fully part of the resistance, at least until a couple of his father's goons show up looking for the missing John Creelman. Next episode, The Odd Couple. And that's A-W-E-D. <laughs> this uh, this was awesome. Yeah, man, cool. They got some future war, my future bounty hunting, which I appreciate, you know? Big commando, or big, uh, yeah, commando raid on this convoy. Johnny sort of, you know, young Johnny proving himself and working his way up the ranks and stuff. Yeah. Very exciting. Well, and, like, just because I love to point this out, we're still in the same basic story of where they started when they got like a jillion dollars on that party boat. Yeah. 
<laughs> right? Like, this is just them taking their next bounty because now they're poor, and we're getting this awesome, massive backstory for Johnny, which yeah. he's never told his closest friends, luckily for us. Yeah, no, it's definitely, you know, he's plays his, he, he plays pretty close to the vest, so this is a chance for him to open up. And yeah, we learn a little bit more about Johnny and sort of the world that the Strong Team Dogs appear. You know, we kind of know well, there's mutants and people don't like him and stuff, but this is a good backstory just in sort of, you know, how this world came to be and what's going on with it. Yeah, it's neat. Absolutely. It's freaking fascinating and beautiful. Ugh. Totally, yeah. This uh, this portrait of a, of, of a mutant storyline, it's going to take a break a little bit pretty soon, but mostly it's going to be with us sort of through the, through the summer of 1981. It's sort of the, like, st- uh, in, in in his book, Steve McMahon has sort of re- described this one as the spine story of, uh, of 1981, sort of like... Uh, the Cursed Earth or ABC Warriors or uh, The Judge Child has been in previous years. Holy crap. Of just sort of That's this long-running mean thing. Look, we're going to... Man, I love this portion of Mutant Story. It's going to be real good. But, <laughs> speaking of other... But, moving on to things that are perhaps less exciting, Fox. Oh, yeah. Thrill to the Mean Arena. <laughs> Oh man, Fox! Uh, so, script robot Tom Tully, art robot John Richardson, letter robot Bill Nuttall—just one mean arena this month. Jaws Jensen is mazed out. He's blasting away at Matt Talon, but luckily Talon can dodge his shots and shoot Jensen's gun out of his hands. God. Uh, Good job, fast guy. Yeah, disarmed Jaws is unable to stop Talon from monologuing and telling his story. <laughs> <laughs> just when you just when you need a gun, when someone starts telling their elaborate backstory, but it's about how uh, how Jensen egged on a bunch of his team's fan addicts to enter the field of play and beat Paul Talon with an inch of his life, and that sort of you know then. And that was sort of what set Talon up, or set Paul up to eventually die. I guess doctors also cleared him to play later, but that's a revenge situation for another day. With that memory related, Talon and his fellow Slayers leave the area, and a bunch of Slayers fan addicts enter with blood on their minds. And then a guy who looks kind of like Gabe Newell is like, oh my god! <laughs> I thought was pretty funny. Jensen... <laughs> It's good. Jensen, now completely terrified, makes a run for it to the only place where he might be able to find safety, a nearby oh. news agents. Oh, but it's that same one from of that that's the home of that couple that's refused to leave at the start of the game that we've been like sort of lampshading this whole time. Jensen walks right into both barrels of the store owner's shotgun. Quack quack jaws. <laughs> <laughs> Jensen's corpse is carried off the field, and Talon scores the go-ahead goal to win the game for the Slayers. That's one down, but who is next on on Matt Talon's list? Mean Arena will return in Prague 218. God, that's a while from now. Yeah, no, we're going to have, you know, we need space for Tharg stories is the basic answer. Uh, Wow, he gets mighty. Yeah, so, you know... I guess interesting story to mean team. Yeah, I mean, you know, now that this is sort of shifted to more of a revenge story, I'm interested to hear who's who his next target is and what's going on with all that stuff. It's kind of like what Harlem Heroes was when they went to uh why am I forgetting the motorcycle one? Inferno. Inferno. Like it was kind of a revenge thing. Like yeah. we'll do it. 
I mean, like, yeah, there's been elements in, in both Harlem Heroes episodes, because, like, the first Harlem Heroes was all about who destroyed their uh, their bus oh, yeah. and, like, made Lewis be a, be a guy, a, be a brain in a jar and killed a bunch of other team members and stuff. So, you know... It seems like like it's a pretty common thing, honestly, in these in these in these future sports stories. But so yeah, I like it. It's fine, you know. Interested to see more stuff going on here, you know. Wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> but yeah, let's talk about sharks for like I don't know too long. Hey, I like sharks. They're fine. You know what else I like, Fox? I know what you love. Thrill three, return to Armageddon. Script robot Malcolm Shaw, art robot Jesus Redondo, lettering robot Bill Nuttall. Robots get some cool <laughs> shit going on in this. God damn. I love robots. I don't care who knows. These robots are dope. So, security robots have arrived to arrest Seeker the Robot, Trapper the Human, and Magpie the Freak, who are at this building site thing to uh, recover the body of Amtrak. The uh, can't just be on a job site immortal savior who can oh the only one who can defeat the destroyer this the space demon guy uh there's a bunch of some hemming and hawing here but eventually set uh seeker manages to get the robots on his side by offering them the ability to lie oh and i mean as soon as they're like wait you can totally lie and he's like yeah like check it ask me my name then he lies about what his name is and they're like oh fuck we'll see so we can only tell the truth do you mind, yeah. like, giving we, us that? We can only tell the truth, and man, it's been a real pain as part of our robot resistance to kill all humans, you know? Like, <laughs> you know, step step two of the resistance is obviously messing with our programming to kill all humans, but step one has to be being able to lie so that we can lie about whether or not we're trying to figure out how to kill all humans. Oh, and, and keep in mind, of course, like, this crazy carnival man is like what the hell did you just do do you know what's going to happen now the... like, bro bro there's been like a jillion of these they happen to yeah. every species that makes robots yeah yeah trapper's like trapper the like the one human in this situation is like you just gave them the ability to lie now they're going to plot robot revolution and like kill all the humans and seeker's like yeah you know it's pretty cool to be honest <laughs> So, <laughs> I mean, I'm a robot, man, and this is a no-lose situation. Anyhow, I can't stress that this giving robots the ability to lie and thus rise up and kill all humans is a minor subplot that doesn't even... I don't know if he's going to be advanced that much in the course of Return to Armageddon. It's just cool. <laughs> the security robots are fitted with liar circuits, and they find and blast Amtrak out of the contract concrete slab he was trapped in amtrak is saved and gets his magic time travel back and he trapper and the freak magpie head off to find atlanta watts uh and seeker has promised to get to a deal with trapper and magpie so that no one learns the secret of robots's new ability to lie to, the, to lie about things <laughs> so ridiculous but and i mean don't get too married to him i guess yeah at watts's apartment we find that guy havoc and the rest of his space pirate buddies about to ambush the space captain oh my god this is a serious situation 
So Atlanta Watts and his uh, good friend Celis arrive at their apartment to find Havoc and the Space Pirates waiting for them. They gun down Celis as Amtrak, Seeker, and the others arrive on the roof to find more go- more Space Pirate goons. The uh, Space Pirates immediately open fire, instantly killing both Magpie and Trapper. Uh, while Amtrak's immortal body gives Seeker cover for him to then uh, blast the bad guys to bits. Yeah, man, that's like his only friend right now. It's true. <laughs> their, their enemies dealt with. Amtrak and Seeker make their way to Atlanta Watts' place. Uh, oh, I mean, not before <laughs> Seeker just brutally murders all the guys. Well, yeah, <laughs> sorry, yeah, I thought I mentioned that. Yeah, no, Seeker totally kills all these space pirates. He doesn't, he's <laughs> murder bots, fine. Uh, Dude, as, it, the way he's standing, he just lifts his arm and zaps, and it's the same pose for every murder. I yeah, love it. He's very nonchalant. Well, you know, you don't have to get a pose. He's just using this hand blaster, you know? <laughs> it's a human thing to get, like, a firing position and stuff. He's a robot. As they as they go to their place, they scare just regular people as they go, because Amtrak will continue to remember is a gross, melty monster. Um, uh. The pair arrive just in time to see Atlanta Watts killed by Havoc and the Space Pirates run off. But Watts was the only lead to the Stones of Eternity! We're in trouble! Oh god, what are we going to do? Well, first it's cool because uh, in uh, Prague, what, 204, we get color pages for Return to Armageddon, which is super cool. It's so damn awesome. But so Atlanta Watts is dead. But Amtrak remembers he has some special items in his inventory, and so he puts his time belt on Watts' corpse and and warps him back to a pre-death state. Nice. Pretty great use of the belt. Oh, yeah. But Watts will only help Amtrak if he uses the the belt to also bring back his uh, good friend, uh, Celis, like a son to him. Which will probably require uh, quite a few, like, 10-second jump ba- jumps backwards. But I guess it also, it, this works as well. It's not clear, like, the exact power of the belt in terms of just, like, how far it can jump back and how many times you can use it at once. But, you know... In this case, they just jammed it a whole bunch and yeah. it was fine. Amtrak is kind of worried about it, but uh, I guess we're okay for now. With... Celis restored. Watts gives up the info, basically recapping the story up until this point. Um, Amtrak decides they have to go back to the beginning, where that like there was that alternate reality with the frozen planet and stuff. Yeah. Watts is skeptical until Amtrak offers him the time belt as payment. Watts agrees over the protests of Celis, and we're off. <laughs> the new team prepares to head out. As news reports come in of the planet Hadessa in the Strigian system, where the entire planet seems to be in the throes of a giant planet-wide suicidal mental breakdown, it's the destroyer at work. We gotta stop him. I mean, really, all he has to do is just unleash Shaka or something. Oh my gosh, I don't think even a giant murder bear could handle the destroyer. Watts and Celis use their customs ship that they have to illegally confiscate a ship capable of uh, traveling through to the other the other uh, dimension, and they head back to that frozen planet with the uh, giant metal snowflakes and stuff. I I heard a thing or um recently Fox had said that this whole story might have started just as a future shock where uh, or a similar a similar pitch 
basically, where people go uh. to a strange planet that's frozen over, and it's there's been a big apocalypse, and everything's frozen, and there's a de- demon in the ice, and the punchline is like, oh, looks like hell really did freeze over, bam, 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 you know? Oh, um, my God. <laughs> but then they thought, oh, no, this is actually pretty cool. Let's, like, make a whole story out of this, you know? Good fucking job, guys. I like oh, you can kind of see I it, right? That's how yeah. They just choose their future shocks. I mean, just like, oh, this one's bad. This one's good. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. I think it's an interesting thing to think about, just in terms of the uh, how the 2000 AD creative team works and stuff like that. You know, that's amazing. Yeah, but so um, they go to the planet or the, to the dimension with the with all the stuff. The giant snowflakes seem to resemble the symbols on Amtrak's belt, and so he dons a spacesuit to investigate them. Um, as Amtrak heads out, and he takes the belt with him, of course, uh, Watts yeah. tries to shoot the snowflakes, but when the laser beams from the ship hit them, they freeze in place, and so suddenly the ship is, like, connected to the snowflake by, like, so a, awesome. a, a frozen solid laser beam thing, which, uh, okay, I guess. Um, c- could these things be the stones of eternity? Uh, Amtrak enters the snowflake... Through a mysteriously appearing hatch. Oh man. When he enters, he's asked his name. He responds with Amtrak, and he's hit, and suddenly he splits into two different clones of himself. Just whoa, That's mirror really image. Gross. Aboard the ship, the crew is rocked in space, and uh since they are frozen fast to the stone, the whole ship is beginning to freeze over. Oh my god, what's gonna happen? Next episode, Icicles twice as Nasticles. That's what's gonna happen. It's the weirdest fucking name. Yeah, I don't know what that means, but it sounds pretty bad. (laughs) Man, let me tell you something Mm -hmm. about this show that we're reading. (laughs) About Return to Armageddon. (laughs) Why is this not, like, I don't know, a a made-for-80s... Uh, made uh, drawn in like france psychedelic hard horror cartoon or or why isn't this just like a show (laughs) it's so amazing well i've been i've been reading ahead of it fox and oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) whoa whoa (laughs) god i'm excited it just doesn't care but yeah, no the, uh, the 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 nonchalance with which Return to Armageddon just does stuff that could be a whole story is really amazing. <laughs> it just you know, it keeps moving around totally unpredictably, but also how it does things that you'd like stories like this to do. You know, yeah. like um, instead of fighting robots, like the smart alien robot just says like, "Hey, I'm a smart alien robot. You could be like me." You know. Or, like, hey, I got a belt that takes me 10 seconds in the past. What happens if I press, like, I press the button, I go 10 seconds back. But what happens if I press the button, like, 50 times? Like, how do I keep going back? Like, what happens? You know? Might as well test it on this dead guy. Yeah. I mean, no harm, no foul. No, it's a fun, it's a fun, super cool story. And it keeps you guessing. It's got great art and like like they've again. I love like you know they're sort of dealing with it now, but I love how long they've kept Amtrak as this like ugly goop man. You know, it's really exactly. he's really putting in his dues as an ugly goop man. You know, you can't say otherwise. I my favorite shots 
is uh, from uh, 205, mm-hmm. where Redondo has drawn people jumping off of a building and falling, mm-hmm. and it's amazing. And then just a stampede of slobbering crazy people as they run and climb all over each other. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. It's insanity. Yeah. It's like, yeah, this is happening over mm. there, just so you remember that this guy is a destroyer. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, it's, it's super-duper awesome. Oh, man, Fox. But speaking of things, you know, again, maybe less awesome, but still necessary... No. Non-thrills, covers, nerve center, and future worlds. Ooh. So, uh, Prog 202, Boyhood of, the, of a Mutant, shows the grim face of Johnny Alpha over a variety of anti-mutant atrocities with just great scare stuff here. I really love it. Just get a sense of how rough it is to be a mutant just from this one sort of cover. In... In the nerve center, there's drawings of a mighty wizard Tharg, the Gronk Mean Machine, a heavy-duty riot droid, and a very sort of fun kids uh, Fink Fink Angel drawing. The majority of the letters are from readers that caught that the map in Meltdown Man was of upside-down South America, while other letters decry various readers' art and call out a typo in the Angel family portrait in Prague 196. Uh, yeah, this uh, so all of this episode, all the progs end with a, a page for this Future Worlds poster, which is a big sort of three by six poster, just showing basically the entire 2000 AD cast at this time. Hell yeah, we got hell yeah, yeah. It's all divided up into different categories. So pa- uh, page three is uh, features. Uh, the uh, uh, future action. It's got Dan Dare with the and the Battle Action Playset crew, the Stainless Steel Rats, uh, Black Hawk, as well as like Lorna Varn and Rick Random way in the back. So awesome. And then like you still you actually see Dan Dare floating on a piece of debris in the background. Yeah, it's got a bunch of sort of icon- like besides characters, it's also got iconic images and stuff from previous progs that are really awesome. Fucking- fucking justice one being a badass yeah in prog 203 after a couple ones that have been done by ian gibson jesus redondo steps in for a return to armageddon poster which oh is just so cool bunch of future people running from amtrak and seeker it's that thing we saw on tv the freak that can't be killed (laughs) man it's not exactly all that scary i'm like Amtrak is like this hunchbacked melty guy. It's ridiculous. He's not good. He's not good looking guy. Yeah. So responding to calls for the year of the alien, a bunch of kids have set in alien sightings and drawings. There's a vacuum cleaner um, alien, but the top (laughs) one for me is the Zildos lizard, which is kind of a bipedial Demetrodon alien, and it's very nice. Oh man, I was such a fan of of the Terran toad. I mean, that one's good too. the toad in a spacesuit. Yeah, that's. I mean, you know, that's a very got, got a very sort of Stellaris look to me, if you ask me. <laughs> in the nerve center, we get pictures of Bond, Thog, Bond. So cool. There's an also an interplanetary trooper, a long range and, and a long range strike craft. Tharg starts talking up the uh, his sci-fi special, and just FYI to everybody, we're gonna do all like the specials annuals and the spinnies and stuff at, at all at the end of the year starting with like september 81 uh letters demand more local sci-fi conventions they ask about tharg's spaceship office building and complain about the doctor who stuff in dash decent oh also we get a pr- the uh pr- pr- the 
proper pronunciation of Mach, which is apparently Mac. So like Mac 1 oh. or Mac 0. I am against this and will continue calling him Mach because that's what they call this. You know, when I watch G.I. Joe and they talk about getting that plane up to Mach 5 and it being real fast, that's what they that's what they called it. So I'm just sticking with that. <laughs> Damn. I had no idea. Yeah. In part four of the Future Worlds poster, it's like robots, including Walter, uh, our sponsor yeah. for this episode, Howard Quartz and Rojaws. <laughs> also, he is awesome. Uh, call me Kenneth, Bert, and AALN1, as well as uh, Charlie, and even Sam Slade. Pretty cool. Oh, and there's uh, there's a little mechquake hiding in the back. Oh yeah, well you know he's doing big jobs off in the distance. Oh yeah, big jobs. In 204, Dread sits on a massive throne of justice, King of the Streets. <laughs> with Mick McMahon drawing this stunning Dread cover, the Future Worlds comes early this prog with mutants, cyborgs, and constructs. You got your Johnny Alpha, your Judge Child, Mach 1 and 0, the Visible Man, Artie Gruber, Old One-Eye, Rico Dread, the Two of Wrath, and even the goddamn Ants from Ant Wars. Which is amazing. I love Ant Wars. (laughs) Always, yeah. Uh, There's more... There's more aliens this week, including a 10-pound winner with the Zythorian Claw Banshee from Michael Rainford of Withschwa, Manchester, and it is dope AF. <laughs> it really is. Swooping in, going to eat your pterodactyl. Yeah. Ah! In the nerve center is a picture of Bruce Tharg, complete with nunchucks. Uh, also a, a Judge Dredd, a sci-fi turret, and a skeleton alien known as Mordak. He's awesome. Yeah. Tharg demands designs for street football teams, and letter writers discuss just the relative like power and authority of the Justice Department, and like you know stuff like how like how there can be gangsters in Mega City One, or if they stepped over their bounds with the auto sump situation and stuff like that. These are both good questions worthy of discussion. Uh, we end with some more reader profiles. There's a lot of dislike for Disaster 1990 and some extra love for Blackhawk. Really? Yeah, you know, Disaster 1990, it's like the action movie sequel thing, where the sequel's not as good as the original, you know? I think we can all agree on that. Uh, yes. Wherever you land on, is Disaster 90, is Disaster 1990 good or not? You know, we can all agree that it's not as good as as Invasion. That That's fair. Yeah. In 205, Dave Gibbons draws a Meltdown Man cover with the evil Polax coming through. Watch out, Gorps! He's a crazy... Weird-looking bear. He's definitely just, you know, if if Shaco had opposable thumbs, he'd be Polax. That's what I'm saying. Um, This issue's... But I want to call it everything, Fox, because issue 205 is super important for us. You and me. Because... Oh, yeah. With the release of, because this episode should be coming out the same week as Prague 2049 in real life, which means that as of this episode, we've now covered 10% of all the Progs in 2000 AD. Woo! Oh my god, celebrate! Yeah, 10% down, 90% to go. It's a huge mile. Yeah, I love it. I think it's a huge milestone for us, but also definitely, Fox, a call to action to read even more, to go even further. Uh, yeah. I'm hoping to. Do it. According to my math, if we don't have a lot of uh, breaks or anything, we should get to 20% in like summer of next year. <laughs> oh my God. 
So freak oh out. Oh my god. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh... Um so okay, there's a candy ad in this in, in this in this prog fox. <laughs> it's for uh for Space Things by by Trebor that and and these ads have enchanted me just all this month. <laughs> Really? Yeah. Well, I just I can't. Okay, so it shows this sort of thing of candy, and it's being held by an alien hand, and I can't tell if things is a reference to like fingers, like you know, you shorten fingers to things, or if it's like the British pronunciation of things, like oi, just popping down to shops, just what what sell the, the them things and and uh, stuff like that, you know. But uh, either way, like I'm very interested <laughs> in these candies, you know. You want to try some space things? I want to find. I want someone to send me some thirty-seven-year-old space things or crazy things, which have uh, stickers in them. I don't care, just something. Oh. Now it seems like the company just makes mints and stuff, which are not the same because these things seem to have. Sorry, oh. these these oh. things seem to have a bunch of different flavors. So whatever. <laughs> Man, that's depressing. Yeah. Well, you know, thirty-seven years you move around in the uh, in the nerve center. There, there are pictures of an alien enforcer. There's a, there's one drawing that's just all of 2080's best, which I think I mostly agree with. Just sort of the heads of characters that are in there. There's a <laughs> Tharg the Cyborg, a 2080 coat of arms, and a cool-looking Strontium Dog movie poster. Hell yeah. Letters ask why Tharg and Zaphod Beeblebrox from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, both Beetlejuiceans, look so different, as well as... Oh. Why Mick McMahon has been absent from the progs, and the very exciting answer to that is that he's been doing all of the drawing for the 1982 Judge Dredd Annual, which, oh man. Oh my god. A, uh, a writer asks what Tharg's favorite video game is, circa 1981. Uh, I, I Hear Space Invaders is pretty fun. Uh, at the end of this prog, there's a classified section full of ads and stuff written by readers, including a black hole vacuum cleaner, a found smiling chuckwalla, and a comic ad for Lewis Brand Thrill Circuits. Oh my god. The final page of the Future World's posters is City and Culture, and, be and besides some Nemesis and Aeroball stuff, this is mostly just Judge Dredd-based. We get old Stonyface himself, plus Judge's death. Cal and Hershey, Max Normal, Otto Sump, Mr. Looney from the Moon, and even like Fergie and Spike's Harvey Rotten. Dude, just uh, plus this page so has the just happened. There's so much going on here, yeah, and it's got the final signature of Dave Gibbons, who's done this whole poster. Huzzah for Future Worlds, dude! Future Worlds is pretty great. Yeah, man, it'd be a fine poster to like just massively display in your on your uh, in, in your bedroom wall. Absolutely, I definitely would would, would recommend it. Hmm. I wonder if I can print this out on A one. Oh, I bet you could. Oh fuck yes! <laughs> you got to print it out, cut it, cut the cut it free of a border, then find some cardboard, get it up there, dude. You got to do some crafts. That's the key to good podcast hosting, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> Just make sure, just make sure your 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 tools don't go rogue on you, as we see this oh. week in Thrill Four Judge Dread. But first, a word from our sponsor. Bah. 
Hello, I am Howard Quartz, owner and operator of Robusters, the disaster squad of distinction. In honor of our advertisee Space Spinner 2000's milestone episode, I am pleased to offer all new customers a 10% price adjustment on their new Robusters disaster insurance if they act now. My teams of operators are standing by to... Boss, your broker is on phone. Something about market crash me, hang up. What? I've got to take this call. You minion, finish this. Just read the paper. Yes, Megquake, finish ad. Marketing is big jobs. Megquake is the best at big jobs. Megquake, not sure how to read. Oh, wait, watch him, Nerdquake. What? Uh, are you on the radio? Megquake, ensuring future of company by engaging in big multi-level marketing jobs. Megquake is going viral. Blimey! But Megquake has a puny question for puny garbage droid. Can he read script? Megquake too busy with other big jobs to finish reading. Sure sounds like a larf. <laughs> Watch your humes. S sign up now using the code SPINNER for a 10% price adjustment. And there's a little star here and it says a 10% price increase. Not to be read aloud. Uh, 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 Righto, sign on for Robusters now. Tell them Rojaw sent you. <laughs> and congrats to the lads at Space Spinner 2000 for reaching 10% of progs. Only several thousand more progs to go. This has been a word from our sponsor. So Script Robot for Judge Dredd this month is uh, John Wagner and Alan Grant writing as T.B. Grover. Art Robots are Ron Smith, Ian Gibson as Emberton, and Steve Dillon. Letter Robots are Tom Frame and Just Thomas. But possibly... to a bunch of people getting shot through the fucking body. <laughs> a lawmaster, which is the bikes that the, ju that the judges ride on, is on the loose. It, Shooting it's, people's butts. Yeah, it starts by taking out some months robbers that are dressed like superheroes, then goes berserk, just blasting away at pedestrians and its former Judge Driver. I think it's the first time we've seen months on in, in Judge Dredd. It's the primary food stuff of Mega City One. We'll be seeing a lot of it as time goes by. Really? Yeah, just you know, just a minor Mega City One thing here. Anyhow, Dread leads a team of judges to take down this road rogue bike. They are largely unsuccessful because you gotta shoot these bikes just in the right spot to destroy them. That's easier said than done. And man, this lawmaster is just driving through town, <laughs> massacring citizens and judges. Shooting out support billers and destroying highways. Just every time you see the bike in page, Ron Smith draws it. Draws the bike sort of in the background. Bullets streaming out of the front of it. <laughs> and like at least like five or six citizens just being like blown into the air by the force of the bullets from the oh, judge bike. It's so amazing. It's, it's just... just as long as it's going, it's killing. It's just total chaos, destruction, loss of life. Dread on his own, the last survivor of the judges that came to stop this bike, follows it onto the monorail, where it, uh, it machine guns its way through the cars. Dread enters the train from the front, uh, his own lawmaster plummeting to the to uh, thousands of feet to the floor below, to the ground below, saying like, "All right, see you later." Um, it's like sad, but. I mean, I guess it's just a tool. Yeah, bike. En oh, sorry. Dread enters the train 
and uh, you know, stares down the bike and takes it down with a precise shot to the fuel tank, blowing it up. All's well that ends well, because Judge Dredd is the law, and he receives the thanks of the sole survivor of the monorail, who is covered in blood and dangling two miles above the city, just barely holding on to the front of the destroyed floor of the monorail car. No, he's holding on to Judge Dredd. Oh, that's right, that's right. Yeah, and one foot, one hand <laughs> attached to, to, to Judge Dredd's ankle or whatever. Like, oh, thanks, Judge Dredd. You know, maybe pull me up. I don't know. Dude, the, but it's the shot, like, right there. It's just Judge Dredd standing, this guy holding on to him a bit. The whole thing blown up. And it's just a pile of bodies in front of it. It's like the massive damage in here. Like it seems like it's like I'm saying all is well that ends well, sort of sarcastically, because it's actually like, oh, oh my yeah. god, just a, a disgusting killing floor, basically. It's amazing. God, Judge Dredd, you just I want to say you got edge. Yeah, I want to say also there's a cool thing just to notice here about um, artist Ron Smith because he always draws Judge Dredd as one having ankle holster. For his gun, and two usually draws him having two guns, which most uh, Judge Red artists don't do. That's sort of a Ron Smith Judge Red signature. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I didn't know that. You know, just good to keep an eye out for, I guess. But that takes us to the tale of who killed Pug Ugly. And again, Ron Smith. Ah, uh, the two things Ron Smith does is like just thousands of people dying really violently and people being super duper ugly. You know. And so, <laughs> this has really been his month with first the Lawmaster story and now uh, Pug Ugly, where Ron Smith is just having a field day drawing the, these super ugly characters in this story. Which, I, is it like a, is this whole thing like a Beatles reference or something? <sighs> Let, let's get to the end, because I want to talk about it then yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, so Pug Ugly and the Buglies, they're in a band of ugly, they're, they're a band of ugly dudes. They sing songs about being ugly. It's pretty cool until Pug is assassinated on stage. Dread kills the assassin, and it looks like the case is closed as the Buglies rush Pug's corpse to the transplant clinic to have his vocal cords removed Dude, for a transplant. This other, yeah, and this other judge just like, oh yeah, don't even fucking worry about it. We killed the perp done. And I'm like... Man, other judges kind of suck. I mean, you know, they got a lot of work to do. They can't be investigating crimes that they've closed, you know? But something doesn't sit right sit right with Judge Dredd. So he investigates the killer, Vito O'Reilly, and finds that he's actually taken out at least 100 life insurance policies on himself before the killing to help his mother after his death, not realizing oh, that all life insurance policies in Mega City 1 pretty much are voided if you die by the hand of a judge by the hand of a mega city judge enforcing the law. <laughs> so in other words, if you're collateral? I mean, or if you're a crook, you know, you can't like right, that's fair. It's it's to keep you from doing what this veto guy did of taking a bunch of law insurance of life insurance policies and then committing a crime knowing that, that the judges will kill you, basically. <laughs> I mean, I, it seems like a smart thing to have in those clothes. I mean, I think it happens in, 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 in real life, too, where, you know, uh. if you lose your life in the, you know, while doing a crime, like, you, your life insurance, you get less of your life insurance, you know, whatever. That's um, pretty fair. Yeah. So, meanwhile, the Puglies, or the, uh, the Buglies, I should say, have a talent search for the new Pug Ugly and give the winner the singer's the vocal cords and an auto sump patented ugly makeover 
But in classic horror movie fashion, the transplanted vocal cords have a mind of their own. They call Dread while the singer sleeps, telling him to come to the next concert. Then at that concert, in song, the new Pug Ugly sings a song that incriminates the rest of the band as the money behind the original Pug's murder to get the band more publicity. Uh, ter- oh my god. <laughs> terrified by this admission, the Buglies now kill the new Pug Ugly as well. And they're on stage. Yeah, on stage in front of everybody. Dread arrests them, and they're going to the cubes for the double murder of Pug Ugly. I loved the name of the condition it's called, which is cellulopsychic regenesis. Yeah, just where you're... That is possibly the coolest fucking... <laughs> just, you know, the general thing where your transplant comes back alive and has the mind of its previous owner. You know, you've seen this movie. <laughs> but yeah, it's an interesting thing coming in March 1981, right? Like, mm. they could have started working on this thing right, like, in December 1980 when, like, John Lennon was killed... And then yeah. it passes for the whole Paul on it as a Beatles reference thing and stuff. I don't know. I don't want to yeah, like. Where goes the drummer? I don't want to. I don't want to go that so far as to accuse anyone of anything like that. But it is definitely a really weird, if not coincidence, weird like inspiration point to go forward with. You know what I mean? Yeah. Don't know if there's subtext. No, yeah. Probably not. Yeah. You know. Yes. I'm sure it could be like. Oh, what if? Uh, like, that, that happened, and they were like, oh, what if a rock star in Mega City 1 died? And Ron Smith was like, what if it was an ugly rock star? And there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, there's a tiny alien in Judge Dredd's oh. office. It's been sent oh by Chief Judge Griffin to be shown around town by Dredd. He's Cuckoo Cook Cuckoo. A uh, a writer from the Uquan people, and there's an important trade deal coming up, so be careful. Oh, I guess we better give it to Judge Dredd to escort around the city. <laughs> exactly. There's a culture clash immediately, as it seems the Uquan people are pretty strict. Uh, people can be arrested for not wearing the right shoes, for instance. But suddenly there's a red light robbery, a bunch of guys, you know, in a car um, rob- uh, mugging someone else in another car, and Dread gives chase. Some pretty solid Dread chase action here as, oh, hell yeah. as Koo looks on from the back of, of Dread's lawmaster. It ends up with one of the perps being caught by Dread and Q basically just pulling a gun and uh, and shooting her because sh- 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 shooting the criminal because a-, a summary execution is very common on Uquan. Which holy shit, number one and wrong dude to like stand in front of and shoot somebody. I mean, it's not like summary execution is an unheard of in ju- in uh, Judge Dread's world, but. By judges, buddy. We know who the law and who isn't in in Mega City One. So, yeah, uh, Ku gets five years in the alien pound. Which uh, it'll ruin. <laughs> that's what they call it. It'll ruin human Uquan relations, and that's why you don't assign dread to diplomatic missions. A lesson that will not be well learned over the course of Judge Dread. <laughs> Listen. The chief judge said wear kid-style gloves, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he was fairly reserved for a long enough period of time. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, totally. Yeah, the, the ambassador pushed him to it, but still, you know, it's still pretty good. Absolutely. The final story is Alone in a Crowd. This is, I think, well, I guess there was one in the annual, but the first Prague Dread stuff by Steve Dillon, I believe. 
and he draws a really neat like life in mega city one story i'd say mm. that's um about muggers robbing people on a moving walkway and people oh, not yeah. like lending a hand to help or say like hey don't rob that guy instead just sort of you know trying to keep down tr- you know thinking like just don't make eye contact avoid being robbed don't attract attention you don't want any trouble this is a I mean, there's some subtext to this, especially mm-hmm. in the end, that I really like. Yeah, but you know who does care, Fox? Who cares? Judge Dredd. He could drive around and pistol whip you. Yeah, he runs down the muggers, just going crazy. Just you know, he catches he he catches one and like you know, threatens him so he gives up his buddies and he just chases <laughs> them all down. The muggers are like, oh man, robbing people on the on the roadways or on the moving walkways real easy because nobody cares and Judge Ridge just bursts into their flat like I care bam shot takes one chases the others he's just handing out aiding and abetting sentences as he goes to people (laughs) who help them you know (laughs) he takes he takes them all down brutally and as he's arresting one, the citizens around him just try not to make eye contact to avoid also being arrested. Don't attract attention. You don't want any trouble. So Which they have the, like, sa- the, the exact shit. same thoughts about Judge Dredd arresting people as they do with muggers mugging people. Which yeah. I got aspect. Very cool. Gotta think about it. Yeah, man. The, I mean, it just... Every episode kind of that's in Mega City 1 continues to just sort of reinforce your point that this thing is a character. You know? Yeah, it's awesome, right? But even more, even like what has me jumping around in my seat for next week, Fox, is next episode on Judge Dredd. Graffiti! Ah, it's gonna be good! Okay. Like, like American graffiti? Kinda. I mean, graffiti <laughs> in America, yes. But probably, <laughs> well, and I guess actually, yes, maybe a couple high school students riding around looking for trouble. Okay, yeah, maybe exactly like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got, I'm excited. Oh, you, you should know, be. Graffiti's pretty good. Yeah, well, you know, we'll see. Um, <laughs> oh, man. And let's go now to more action with Thrill 5 Meltdown Man. Script robot Alan Hebden, art robot Massimo Belladonelli, lettering robot Jack Potter. So, okay. Tough question here, Conrad. Mm. Is eating a UG uh, cannibalism for us? No. Oh, it's only cannibalism if it's the same species as you. So, so a person eating a person, a wolf man eating a wolf man, uh, a bear man eating a bear man. That's cannibalism. But a bear man eating, nice. a, eating a cat lady, no, that's fine. Okay, so you saw where my logical train of thought was going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Liana the Catwoman is being burned at the stake by these uh, jerk renegade Yugis. It's really not great. Nah, Nick Stone and Tebow the Minotaur intervene, and Stone's snip gun is enough to make the renegade leader Polax play nice and free Liana until he sees that Nick is out of ammo. Now Bad it's... News. yeah. It's time to scram. Our heroes flee, but Nick gets cornered by Polax, who is about to kill him, when he suddenly goes dumb and wanders away, thanks to the timely intervention of the psychic powers of King Seth. Dude, King Seth has him, like, set himself on fire. It's all, yeah, he gets entranced by his torch, and then try to eat that torch. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
the, uh, the rebel team heads back to Anvil to keep the renegades from getting their hands on those machine pistols. Oh, man. And this is important. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the frying pan, which is a great oh, uh, salt God. flat, Gruff the Wolfman has been spotted by a predator base suffering from heat, heat exhaustion and dehydration. Wolf's, uh, or sorry, Gruff stumbles into the base and is taken prisoner. Meanwhile, the predators try to, like, take his horse for eating purposes, but it escapes. <laughs> Dude, this, by the way, is, like, my favorite one of, of all of the Meltdown men. It's cool, man. Yeah, the, uh, the, uh, horse, the uh, horse is wrangled by a couple cheetah guys, and they bring it back to their leader. Or, sorry, by a couple wolf dudes on camels, I should say, yes. They bring it back to their leader, who's a camel dude, who identifies it as belonging to his old buddy Gruff. As dude, he's like, man, this guy's awesome, and so... Yeah, we gotta help his him. His name is Effendi Caleb? Yeah, Caleb the Camel Man. So when, awesome. When, as Billy the Pup arrives to take Gruff into custody, the desert brigands attack, with dope cheetah men coming down, uh, taking down <laughs> a helicopter by throwing chains at it, Gruff is saved by the forces of Caleb the Camel Man. What I love is that uh, if you if you look at the uh, bottom left panel where they're mm-hmm. attacking the helicopter, yeah, the name of the cheetah guy is on his underwear. <laughs> <laughs> so I gotta wonder if they both do, and because they kind of you know look the same. I mean, if they're gonna strip down, you might as well like kind of put your name on it, I guess. You don't want somebody else stealing your underwear, buddy. <laughs> As, uh, as as Gruff goes to talk to Caleb, we see Billy the pup has gained a grudging respect for Gruff. As the Wolfman explains the rebellion plan to Caleb, which is awesome. Back, I'm excited. Yeah, back at Anvil, Lishar, Tiger Commander, and an army of predators <laughs> descend onto the city of Anvil to find the guns that Stone has made. The brutal searches and in at least one predator being roasted in the face by a forge, but no weapons are found. Lee Shaw... Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Some awesome stuff is about to well, happen. Well, <laughs> Lee Shaw orders a brutal punishment. He has one-third of the city's population sent to the vats, which, which kills them, basically. This causes some townsfolk to want to give up the info, but they are instead told to stand back and wait for revenge. And revenge, apparently, is way more fueling. Mm. Even the bullmen that operate the vats are forced to go to give up a third, and they walk to their doom in an orderly line, like true awesome bullman dudes. Dude, it was great. He's like, hey, everybody who's, like, a senior, step forward. Yeah, and they just forward march right into the vats. That's so cool. After Lishar leaves, Nick and his team return to console the survivors and pull the completed weapons out of their hiding place inside the vats. Oh my god, the one place those weird minks would never look. Yeah, now these gorps have a bunch of AKs and everybody is in trouble. (laughs) The war is on. I mean, he's literally shaking with excitement. Yeah. A weird thing is that they keep calling these guns machine pistols when they're clearly yeah. like AK-47s and like assault rifles or something. And I pa- no idea. Yeah, part of me wonders if this isn't some comics code thing, like how you're only like how good guys are only allowed to use like pistols or something, or like maybe like pistols and shotguns or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Like we have something similar to that in America at this time where you um, where they did where you couldn't have realistic guns in comics and that's why everybody uses ray guns basically 
Like that's why there's so many I mean, sci-fi heroes and stuff because contemporary guns are literally outlawed by the uh, comics code. Wow! Holy crap! Yeah, so I wonder if this is a similar thing where they gotta, you know, they're calling them machine pistols because somehow saying that they were assault rifles would like um, would anger like the parents groups always flying like vultures to take down 2000 AD, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, just don't look too closely and you'll be fine. Yeah. You know, so Polak and his brigands are marching on Anvil, robbing and pillaging as they go. Meanwhile, with the guns in hand, Stone has 12 hours to train the UGs of Anvil how to shoot, while dodging the bullets that Seth ends up shooting by shoot by pulling the trigger one of the guns with his tail. Dude. Th- that evening, Stone and Liana chill out and... S- uh... In, in some parts that's just for the fellows and <laughs> um, and they cite some humans planning to take them down like they see like the the, the glow from their spy glasses or something Stone and Leon are, are being a smart ass dude yeah they get taken prisoner as the humans main force of predators go out to fight uh, Polax's brigands but Stone reveals that this is all part of a clever ruse he offers the humans a chance to join him on the side of the rebellion because he's going to need some human allies um, especially because an orderly rebellion of cool UGs is way better than a bunch of crazy-ass brigands. And this <laughs> is proved as the sun rises and we see uh, that the brigands are at the Anvil city gates and their path to Anvil is lined with the skewered corpses of Predator troops. It's horrific. It's pretty... Like, it yeah. is insanity. It's awesome. Next episode, I want Stone alive. Yeah, for eating. Hey, why not? I mean, he's a big bear. Uh, as far as I know, yeah. if I've, I've learned anything from 2018, it's that bear's going to eat you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it could be for eating. It could be for uh, for getting more human technology and stuff. You know, we'll see. But yeah, shocking events in <laughs> Meltdown Man this month, Fox. Dude. And you know what else is shocking, Fox? Oh my god. Thrill 6. Future Shocks! Welcome back! Bam, 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 bam. So, four Future Shocks this month, Fox. <laughs> the first one, oh, it's a tiny one. It's Last Thought. Script robot Steve McMahon says Ian Rogan. Art robot John Higgins. Letter robot Peter Knight. So, little teaser as Ronald Reagan makes his first appearance in 2000 AD. Definitely not his last. <laughs> And the U.S. Oh has been attacked by nukes. What's to be done? Let's activate our most powerful defense system and warps those missiles into another dimension. Oh, hey, it worked. But <laughs> Reagan wants to know, where do we keep this crazy weapon? And the, uh, the tech guys answer, why, right here, off the coast of Bermuda, in this triangle-shaped area. The Bermuda Triangle is an American defense weapon. Bam, bam, bam! <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. It's good, dude. So stupid. <laughs> I love it so much. I've missed you. Just I've uh, missed you, Future Shock. Just two, sh- just two pages. Get into that Bermuda Triangle. Oh yeah. Oh my god. So next up, oh, it's Grok's bearing gifts. Script robot Alan Moore. Art robot Ian Gibson is Q twerk. Lettering robot a Tom Frame. It's a rare set of color pages for a future shock. This mo- this, this this one, 
as well as a first contact slash an alien invasion as a UFO has landed in England. The occupants turn out to be grocks. Hey, these giant blue fat tourist aliens who just want to see the local sites of London. Cooey! They're they're just they're just super crass and like you know tur- super touristy. But man, they also t- first sighting of Google Glass. <laughs> it was funny because they got glasses, uh, 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 cameras. But they also tip in giant gold bars, which I think most people are are are, are down with. Um, (laughs) seems to work almost too yeah so the whole world goes into grift mode basically (laughs) with random folks just like selling them landmarks like the eiffel tower and buckingham palace and the grocks just go for it man they'll just you know they'll do whatever they want and give you like a giant gold bar for it they apply for uk citizenship they move to scotland putting on kilts and trying to figure out their tartar their tartan pattern and uh once they get settled they call for their relatives to visit their hundreds and hundreds of relatives (laughs) and oh by the way did you know that they lay 40 eggs in a litter three litters in a lifetime ah there's so many grocks Soon, There's going to be a lot of them. Soon whole areas are going grok as they start spreading their culture, buying up radio stations, clothing shops, even fast food chains. It's finger grokking good. Um, <laughs> it's rough, though, because it turns out that like all those like scam sales everybody did are, in fact, fully enforceable by intergalactic law. Uh. Um yeah. And so Margaret Thatcher and and at all are kicked out of London, and the Grocks buy up and Grockify stuff like Mount like the Mona Lisa and Mount Rushmore, and humans can't even fight these claims in international court because this sudden massive influx of gold on the world market has completely cratered its value <laughs> and just destroyed the global economy. <laughs> Which, I mean, this is why you have like a a first contact bylaw. I can't stress enough that each one of these gold bars are giving people is like worth a million dollars. It's an insane amount of gold if you're interested in these this sort of commodities trading. Um, so, soon the, uh, the Groks control the whole world, and it's basically okay because the Groks aren't that bad, man. They're just kind of crass and stuff. I mean, some humans do have reservations, though, Fox. The reservations they have to live on now because the rest of the earth is owned by aliens. Bam, bam, bam. Oh my! God. <laughs> and that's the setup. <laughs> it's like four pages of setup. Ah, oh, they have reservations because they live on reservations now, Fox. It's Jesus. Oh horrible. man, that's a good one. That's an Alan Moore one too. So that's like in the uh, Alan Moore Future Shocks collection, you know. Uh, Next up is Trial and Error. Script robot Kelvin Gosnell, art robot Mike Dory, our old friend, lettering robot Peter Knight. So, Joe Black, one of the top scouts for the Planetary Exploration and Survey Trust, or PEST, and one of my favorite future uh, reoccurring Future Shocks characters, is uh, leading the test of a new robot surveyor. He and the droid, which is basically one of those... Uh, Matryoshka dolls, like the uh, you know the dolls that are inside other dolls from Russia, one of those things. Yeah. On a on a set of tank treads with like arms that come out of it and stuff. Uh, start the survey. 
The uh, droid secures the landing zone by just zapping an air the area with the laser instead of building a stockade. <laughs> then the hell? cuts down a tree to gather data, not noticing the primitive alien beings that live inside of it. The, the bot makes first contact, and things go well until the natives offend the robot and conflict breaks out. It's kind of a funny uh, sort of commentary on like uh, colonialism and stuff, too, because Joe, Joe Black's like, oh, man, we can talk to these guys. Let's just give them some trinkets, and they'll like help us do stuff. But then the robot gets offended because like the, uh, the natives asked to be bribed and whatever. He's like, oh, instead the sky gods will come down on you. And so they got to run. Oh, <laughs> It's not a good situation when you're not getting the wink, wink, nod, nod coming from your buddy, you know? Yeah. On the run from the natives, Joe and the robot run into a hyper-intelligent giant spider. Uh, on uh, orders from Joe, the bot blasts it, but the blast also travels through the jungle and cuts their ship in half as well. In true genie fashion. <laughs> It'll be six months until help can arrive. And then six months later, we see Joe Black with a big beard living safely in a wooden stockade with the droid being used as his cooking stove. <laughs> Take that, robot. That's horrific. <laughs> yeah, I like Joe. He's got a good... Uh, travels the galaxy and has weird adventures. And has sort of weird, funny adventures. I don't know. Have we, have we seen him before? No, this is his have first appearance. No, this is his first appearance. Okay, now I'm excited. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> So, our final story is The Easy Kill. Script robot Gary oh, yeah. Leach as R.E. Wright. Art robot Gary Leach. Lettering robot Peter Knight. This is a weird story. Um, yeah. It's a bunch of years after the events of the VCs, and the geeks are revolting. Also, they're rebelling against humanity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, Conrad, really? <laughs> But that isn't super matter, because a couple troops are getting picked up. They say they've stolen a cask of irium crystals from a geek uh, temple, which are really expensive. The pilot of the ship, the Easy Angel, shoots the troopers and takes the crystals for himself. That dastard! I, yeah, hope something bad happens to him with my dying breath. With the Yeah, with the, the di one of the troopers with his dying breath curses the pilot. He says, Easy's gonna get you! The Damn. Pilot is skeptical, but soon afterward, his ship, the Easy Angel, is shot down. Um, as the ship crashes, the pilot hallucinates a whole bunch about the curse and the wrong he's done and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, he swears the Easy Angel won't be where he dies. And despite the horrible crash, he pulls through. Later, at a field hospital, the pilot's healing up when a robot doctor goes berserk and starts to dissect the pilot alive. The name of the robot Dr. Fox, E-Z-E. -E. Whoa! Bam, bam, bam! <laughs> it's got this whole Dr. Feely Good vibe to it. Oh, yeah. It's going to cut you open, see what makes you tick. <laughs> and with, <laughs> totally. And with that, Fox, oh, my gosh. That's the thrills for March 1981, Progs 1. Or sorry, progs 202 to 205. We're in the twos now. It's crazy. So, what was your top and bottom thrill? This is uh, this is actually difficult. Mm. I'm not gonna lie. Like, I uh, I sat down for a bit trying to figure out which one. Um, I don't do the whole pros and cons thing. I just kind of skim back through. I hear you. Uh, like, 
I can't hate any... Well, so obviously Return to Armageddon. I'm just going to go out there and say it because it's the thing that continually just, like, thrills the shit out of me. Sure. But I don't want to belittle... First off, like, Judge Dredd and a bike-killing spree and vocal cords and just awesome. Mm-hmm. Or, like, ugh, the Return of Future Shocks is just so terribly corny and it's amazing. <laughs> Weird. Uh, like... But really, goddamn, Strontium Dog 2, it's like picking one for bottom. That's the problem, right? Definitely, like, yeah, I'm definitely. Not be an arena. It's got one episode in here. That's not even like a... That's not even like fair, yeah. Yeah, and I can't say Meltdown, man, because things are like fucking amping up. So, like, I, can I abstain? <laughs> <laughs> I guess, like... Yeah, no, I can't do it. All right, rare bottom thrill abstention. I can't. Maybe you should say that, like, maybe you get, like, one or, one a year of those or something like that, just when things are ridiculous. Fuck! But it was, I mean... Using it in March. It's bold. Uh, oh, God. I mean, we'll see. I mean, you know, I don't know. We're, this is, like, Golden Age 2000 AD, so there could be really nothing that you want to put in the bottom, or just what has the least thrill power, I guess. I could see it. This, uh, like, I can't help it. Like, this is a real good month. Absolutely. All right, man. Then what are your top and bottoms? Ooh, I agree that this is super tough. Like, I'd say, honestly, um, if you wanted to find, like, especially sort of for this era, uh, like, like if, if you're looking for, like, like a, just an organically appearing, like, perfect prog, like, mm. prog 203 with uh, Ron Smith doing ugly-ass um, pug ugly. Dude. Um, full, like, uh, the big, like, uh, Tinketo fights in Strontium Dog, and then Meltdown Man, you know, the desert stuff in Meltdown Man, <laughs> and, um, and, like, crazy time belt machinations <laughs> in Return to Armageddon, plus an Alan Moore future shock. Ah, uh, it's, like, this seems like an almost perfect prog, I gotta say, or at least for this for the for the thrills that we have available to us at the moment, you know. Yes. Um, for my top, ugh, it's so hard. I'm gonna say Strontium Dog. Strontium Dog's real good, dude. Dude, um, the feels, I agree. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of like emotion. There's a lot of cool battle scenes. There's some nice nods to Strontium Dog stuff we've seen in the past. It just all combines to be a really neat story and a really good sort of prequel story as well and just sort of the development of this Johnny Alpha character, you know? So amazing. Yeah, I really do love it. Um, for bottom thrill, and I'm going to say this is less a bottom thrill, like, it's bad and just m maybe if I stack them all against each other, this one maybe has the least thrill power to me. Yeah. <sighs> it's, again... Everybody is super tied. All this stuff is real good, but I think I might end up saying uh, Meltdown Man. Just because really? there was really good Meltdown Man stuff. Um, but again, it's just sort of setting things up, I guess. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited for when this war actually starts and they start using these AK-47s in Meltdown Man. And it's not its not <laughs> even like, like to shade it. It's just like if I gotta put these things in order of what you know of top to bottom it ends up being in the bottom but meltdown man could easily be a top thrill in other months you know in pre in months we've had you know 
without breaking a sweat. Yeah. So I don't want to. I don't want to share it here. I'm just sort of, you know, I'm trying to stay true to our dumb made-up format. You know, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that matters is our incredible uh, perseverance through this slog because of that code. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, you, you, you gotta live by the code and, and podcast by the code. You don't gotta die by the code because it's not that serious. Like, <laughs> Any... God damn it. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. You can always find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or our podcast site at Cradaline.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at spacespinner2k. For everything else, just look up spacespinner2000 and we should be there. Come back next week as Judge Dredd chops up some graffiti, Amtrak gets a makeover and a sweet sword and actually returns to Armageddon. And oh. Speaking of that, we learn the true backstory to the world of Meltdown Man. Also, future shocks roll on with the return of Abelard Snaz. And Tharg deals with a massive thrill quake. Oh my god, that does not sound safe. It sounds pretty awesome. Until next time, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Spinner Bird 3! Spinner Bird 3!